All right, good evening, you be free. I still have not downloaded Pokemon Go. People think I'm lying about that. I still have not downloaded it. Pray for me, brothers and sisters. It's, it's tempting. It's tempting. I just feel like I'm the only one. I feel like I'm the only one. Well, my name is Eddie Park. I'm one of the teaching pastors on staff. I'd love to welcome you if you're new to our 5 p.m. Um, yeah, for, for the past few weeks, uh, if you've been here during the summer, we've been talking a lot about generosity. We believe that generosity has so much to do with Jesus and who Jesus is. And so um, we're going to be kind of wrapping up this long discussion and this talk about generosity. I'm going to be teaching to this week, and then Austin Helm is going to be teaching and closing up the generosity series next week. Uh, you, you know, growing up as a kid, I, I didn't have a lot. My mom was a single parent. She was an immigrant. She didn't speak English that well, and it was hard. But my mom always modeled for me. My mom always modeled that you didn't need much to be a generous person. She would always be so giving to her siblings, to her church, to charities, to people who are in need all the time. And she did her very best to never make me feel like we didn't have enough. I'll share with you like a a silly story. When I was in sixth grade, I remember the first time I got to I got to pick my very first pair of shoes. Do you guys remember when you got to pick and buy your first pair of shoes? I remember I always had to wear these like clunky Doc Martin looking things all the time. And I was like, no, mom, I don't want, I don't want to wear these shoes anymore. And I remember in sixth grade, she, she let me pick my first pair of shoes. Do you guys remember? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's like red slippers with that glittery bow on top of it. Maybe it's brown cowboy boots. Maybe it was your first pair of Nikes or Jordans. Well, for me, it was these, it was these white high-top vans. Everybody in my school were, were skateboarders. And I just remember, man, everyone's a skateboarder, and they're all wearing these vans. And I just I wanted these white high-top vans with this blue royal trim around the edge. And I remember my mom let me buy, buy these shoes, and I dragged her to the store and and. and to, to this day, I still remember how much it cost. It cost $59. I remember how much these shoes cost. And I remember my, the look on my face when she turned over that price tag. $59! <laughs> and then you can get three pairs of shoes that pay less for this. But she saw how much I wanted them so badly, and she, she just bought them. I know it's a silly story, but it just, it just shows, like, my mom was such a generous person. But, you know, there, there was... There was one time that I, I saw, it, saw her having a really hard time being generous. And that was when I, when I would hurt her, when I hurt her feelings. I saw that it was so hard for, for her to be generous. You know, fast forward from sixth grade all the way to my senior year in high school. I was a, I was a senior in high school and I played volleyball. And I coincidentally needed new volleyball shoes. And on the day that I asked my mom if she can buy me new volleyball shoes, she wasn't so generous because I hurt her feelings. This is what happened. On the day that I asked her for new volleyball shoes, I was, I was out on the driveway of my house and I was washing my car. I had a black Volkswagen Golf. It was a GTI. I loved it. I'll never buy it again. It was terrible. <laughs> Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm washing my car, I'm waxing my car, and then I see my mom drive up behind me. 
And you know, it's, normally when you see someone um, parking into a, a garage, they normally just look forward. When you park into a garage, you should normally look forward into the garage that you're parking in. She didn't do that. She saw me washing my car, and she did the head snap death glare. And she parked her car, and I was like, that was strange and incredibly scary. And then when she, she got out of the car, normally, you know, my mom and I are super close. She would say, hey, son. I'd be like, hi, mom. We love you. You know, like, we, we'd have that interaction, but she just slammed the door, went inside, and I was like, hmm, something, something's really wrong. So I went inside, and I asked my mom, hey, I, I, I need new volleyball shoes. And then she says, you're so selfish. I was like, whoa, what's going on? What did I just walk into? She's like, you never wash my car. I was like, do you want me to wash your car? You never asked me to wash it. And I can just see that she was like hurt. She was like, it was like incredible Hulk mode. <laughs> okay, she was hurt. And then I realized that there was a lot of things I did not do, like my chores, uh, certain things that I should have done for her. And she was hurt. Her feelings were hurt. But I, it was interesting because I remember that moment. And she's so generous. She's modeled generosity for me. But I could see that when she's hurt, when she, when she had hurt feelings, she had a hard time being generous. And so when I'm thinking about generosity, I find that the problem is not wanting to give. People want to give. People want to be generous. The greatest problem that I see is that people, people, it's hard for people to be generous when they're hurt, when they're in pain. You know, my wife, she's in fundraising, and she's, she tells me about there's so many people that give generously, millions of dollars, estates, trusts, wills. And then there's these people that stop giving because they've been hurt. They get a bad email. They didn't like the way that they were talked to on the phone. And they just feel like, I, I don't know if I want to give to this organization anymore. And then you, you think about marriage too, right? You take two people who love each other, who, who are over the moon about each other, who, who are so generous, right? The, this, these young men, they, they, they save three months of their salary just to buy a, a stupid stone for this, for this person who he loves. Overly generous. But then there's hurt. And then there's pain. And then there's separation. And then there's divorce. So what happened? What happened to these two people who are in love, who are, who are so giving, who are so generous, but when it becomes so painful, the relationship, especially in divorce, it stops being about giving, but it becomes about taking what is mine. It becomes contractual. You see people, because they're in pain, because they're hurting, they all of a sudden have a hard time being generous to the other person. So again, I, I, I fundamentally believe that the greatest barrier, the greatest hindrance to our generosity is being hurt. How do we, how do we stay generous? How do, we, how do we continue to give when we get hurt, when we're in pain? Well, well today we're going to look at a situation in the New Testament where generosity is talked about within the context of a very, very painful and, 
and re- of a relationship that has a lot of hurt. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians. This is where you switch over from your Pokemon Go app to your Bible app. But actually, there's good news. You don't have to do that because a lot of the passages are going to be up on the screen. You know, there, there's, there are a few things that are super important before we read 2 Corinthians and this passage about generosity. And the first, first one is this. There's a lot of painful history between Paul and the Corinthians. No other church that Paul had planted has had so much pain. You know, in our, in our Bibles, there's, there's two books to the Corinthians, but there's actually references that there are at least four letters written to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about a warning letter that he sent before 1 Corinthians, which actually means that 1 Corinthians is not 1 Corinthians. It's actually 2 Corinthians. Are you kind of confused? Well, it's going to get more confusing. In between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there's actually an in-between letter called the letter of tears, the painful letter. So actually 2 Corinthians is not actually 2 Corinthians. It's actually 4 Corinthians. 1, 2, 3, 4. Are you with me? So there's four letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And a lot of it has to do with this tension and these problems that have arisen between him and the church. In fact, the church in Corinth is the only church that Paul planted that he had to visit twice. He had to visit two times. And they asked him to come a third time, but he said no. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. It's just too hard. We see that there's, there's, a, there's a history of pain. There's a relationship that was strained between the church and Paul. But we also see that this is a relationship that's in healing. They're in process. In 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul says this. He, he wrote that severe letter. Remember that painful letter in between 1 and 2 Corinthians? And it was harsh. It was painful. We don't know exactly what's in that letter. We just know it was freaking painful. He says in chapter 7, verse 8, I'm, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was so painful to you for a little while. And during this dialogue, I'm sorry that it hurt you. But the letter allowed the, the Corinthians to turn back to Paul. They're in process. They're in healing. But we don't know exactly what happened. We don't see the other end of the conflict. But in, in the context of this painful relationship, this strain and this history, in the context of this, this relationship, they're in healing. There's a promise that was made. There's a matter of this promise that was made. And that was a promise that the church in Corinth would be generous. They would give a generous gift to those in Jerusalem, the suffering believers in Jerusalem. In chapter 9, verse 5, Paul mentions the generous gift, the promise that the Corinthians made. So I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangement, arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Paul talks about generosity. Paul, Paul, it's so important for Paul that he, he actually takes whole, two whole chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9 in, in the entire letter to talk about generosity. If you flip back to chapter 8, 
He says this, Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, in your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to also excel. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Despite all the pain, despite the four letters, despite the two painful visits, despite all of that, Paul loves the church in Corinth. He loves them. He doesn't want to give up on them. Doesn't want to, doesn't want to give up on their growth and the maturity. And he, and he believes that generosity has so much to do with our growth and maturity. And he talks, but then there's a matter of this generous gift that they promised a year ago. See, when Paul came to Corinth and he preached the gospel, the gospel that he preached was so compelling, so powerful to the church in Corinth. Paul would say, Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor for our sake so that we who are poor could become rich. They were so compelled and moved by the gospel that when they heard about the brothers, the inequality, the suffering in Jerusalem, they were the first ones to eagerly say, we're going to give, we're going to give this generous gift to them so that their needs are met. But that was a year ago. And a lot has happened in a year. A lot of pain and hurt has happened in a year. So it's kind of awkward. Again, they're, they're in healing. They're in process. It, it, it hasn't fully resolved yet. But Paul is reminding them of this generosity, this generous gift and promise that they made. So how does he, how does he motivate them? How does he talk about this without making them feel guilty, without feeling, making them feel like they're obligated or it's required? Well, we're going to be reading in chapter 9, starting from verse 6. He says, remember this. He uses a proverb. He says, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. This is a known proverb in the ancient world. It's the law of, of reaping and sowing. You put in a little, you, you get a little. You put in a lot, you get a lot. A universal principle that the ancient world understood and, and knew. And then he tells them, verse 7, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. I don't want you to give, give reluctantly or in response to pressure. This is not pressuring you because God wants you to have joy. God loves a person who gives cheerfully, joyfully. This is not me asking you out of obligation. And he goes on in verse 8 and he says, God will, God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. God is the one that provides the resources, everything that we need and the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then pro produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And he, and he uses this language as a harvest of generosity and a generous crop. So what is that? What is that generous crop? What is, what is the harvest that he's speaking of? 
Well, he says it in verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be always generous. How can he say that so confidently? You can, we will be enriched in every way so that you can be always generous. Well, he lets the Corinthians know, when I take your gift, when we take your generous gift to those who need them, well, quite simply, they're going to thank God. They're going to give thanks to God. Now, let's think about that. He reminds the Corinthian church that the impact of their generosity changes people's lives. He says in verse 12, he goes on to talk about the impact, the results, the fruit, the harvest, the generous crop. So two good things will result in your ministry of giving. Think about this. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. Their basic necessities, their needs to survive, it's going to be met because of your generosity. Lives are going to be changed because of your generosity. And not only that, but they will joyfully, joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you, church. Not because of you, but because they know the grace that was given to you. How do we, how do we continue to stay generous? How do we, how do we continue to give even when we're hurt or we're in a relationship with a lot of pain and in healing. Well, Paul reminds them that the impact of their generosity changes lives. The impact of their generosity actually highly outweighs our personal pain. Needs are being met. People are thanking God. People are filled with joy and they give glory to God. And can you put a price on that? Can you put a price on people being filled with joy? Their needs being met. And they're giving thanks and worship and glory to God. Can we think about what the impact of our generosity is? You know, I started as a college pastor uh, in a church in L.A., and one of my core leaders was, uh, for anonymity's sake, we'll just call him Mr. Chang. Mr. Chang is a 60-year-old man who wears a bow tie with Harry Potter glasses, but he has the body of like a 20-year-old. He's a runner. But he was an incredibly generous man. He was a small business owner, and, and not only that, but he had, he had this heart for people on the fringe. He had, people, he, had, he had this deep heart and love for people that were outsiders. In our college ministry, it was, a bunch of, you know, it was a bunch of kids from UCLA and USC, squeaky clean Presbyterian Korean kids. And, and, but there, there, and it wasn't made up of all of them. There were, there were gangsters from the neighborhood. There were, there were people that weren't even going to school. There were people that were rough around the ed- edges. There were people that, were, that didn't fit in, that were uncomfortable being around everybody they talk differently they look differently and he had this heart for them 
And it was amazing. But one of the hardest decisions that we as a staff had to make was we had to ask him to step down and leave college ministry, the college group. And why that was is because he was a loose cannon. He was one of those guys that never followed the rules. He, 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 he said things that he shouldn't have said. He did things that he shouldn't have did. He just, and we, were just, we just couldn't, couldn't contain him. He was too wild. And we had to make the hard decision to ask him to leave. And that was so hurtful for him. That hurt him so much. And you know what? When I got there, I, re- I found out that well, that wasn't the first time that we've had to ask, ask Mr. Chang to leave. But this, is the, this was the problem. Our, our college group, we had two events that were so crucial to what we did. We had a summer uh, camping trip up at Yosemite, hike the Half Dome. And we had a winter snowboarding trip at Mammoth. And Mr. Chang has always fully funded and sponsored those events. And so it was, it was hard because we were like, what do we do? We need these we need these events because it, it's at these events, these trips, the camping and the snowboarding, that people on the fringe, the newcomers, people that aren't connected or disconnected or not comfortable with faith, that that's when they feel connected with our family to this place and make relationship and deepen their friendships here and, they, and they're open. It was, it, it, was so, it was so important that we continue to do it, but there was just no way to fund it. There, it was just, there's just no way. But I can, I, I can share with you that to this day, he still has funded those events every year. Even when he was hurt. I remember visiting him at his, at his business. And I said, Mr. Chang, can I ask you a question? Why do you still give? Why do you still do it? We hurt you. We basically kicked you out. And he would say to me with his Harry Potter glasses, Pastor, it's not about me. It's about them. It's about those guys who need God. It's always been about them. It's always been about those who need God, who need love, who need acceptance. And I take them and I, and I, and I help them and I give them jobs and I help them get other jobs and I, and, I, and I love them. It's never been about me. It's always been about them. The way that he overcame his hurt, I saw that he knew. He knew that the impact of his generosity was life change. He knew that the impact of his generosity were, were people receiving love and being accepted. I want to take a moment to thank you, to thank EV Free. Because of your generosity, because of what you've given, no matter how big or small it is, the impact of it has been lives, it's been life-changing. Lives have been changed in this past year. You know, in the recent weeks, you know, we had VBS last week. A thousand kids on our campus. A thousand kids 
hearing the good news and message of Jesus. And there, there was this fun thing that we did that the kids were encouraged to raise funds. They were, their goal was to raise $2,000 for care packages for infants of Syrian refugees. And there's this, this cute story in E! News where a few girls, they, they, they set up a lemonade stand and they were giving out lemonade and people were like, why are you giving out this lemonade? And they're like, we're trying to save Syrian babies. And at the end of the week, the kids raised $6,700 for care packages for infants of Syrian refugees. The impact of our generosity, the impact of your generosity, has, been, has taught the next generation how to be generous to the most vulnerable in the world. You know, um, in the morning, we, we commissioned 97 volunteers to Royal Family Kids Camp, which is uh, a, a camp and, and, and mentoring experience for those who have been in the foster care system, children of abuse. And Amy, one of the directors of OC United, shared about how there was, there's so many of them that return back as a volunteer for Royal Family Kids Camp because they say, this is my home. I'm not sure if we realize the gravity of someone that's been in the foster care system that has embraced and received abuse their entire childhood life to say that they have a home. The impact of your generosity has been life-changing. And so I want to say thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for being generous. And I pray as we continue to be generous people, as we continue to give to the organizations that we believe in, that tug on our hearts, that we wouldn't let being hurt, that we wouldn't let painful relationships keep us from being generous, but we'd always realize the impact of our generosity far outweighs our personal pain. You be free. Thank you for your generosity. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel that Paul preached, that Jesus Christ, that who was rich for our sake, became poor, so that, though, for, that those of us who are poor could become rich. What a powerful gospel that is. What a powerful message and truth that is. And we thank you for this grace that we have received. And as we have seen in our text tonight, that though there is pain, that though there is hurt in relationships like every relationship has, Father, I pray that it will not hinder us from being generous people. It will not hinder us because we know what our generosity can do. It can change lives. Needs can be met. People will be filled with joy. People will give thanks to you and give glory to you because of the grace that you have given us. And Father, we want to make impact here in this city. Father, help us not to be consumed by our hurts and our pain. But Father, focus on the impact. The impact that can change so many people's lives. And we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.